The Holy Gospel according to John, the twelfth chapter. Now among those who went up to worship at the festival were some Greeks. They came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida in Jerusalem, in Galilee, excuse me, and said to him, Sir, we wish to see Jesus. Philip went and told Andrew, then Andrew and Philip went and told Jesus. Jesus answered them, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Very truly I tell you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains just a single grain. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Those who love their life lose it, and those who hate their life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Whoever serves me must follow me, and where I am, there will my servant be also. Whoever serves me, the Father will honor. Now my soul is troubled, and what should I say? Father, save me from this hour? No, it is for this hour. It is for this reason that I have come to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came from heaven. I have glorified it, and I will glorify it again. The crowd standing there heard it and said, that it was thunder. Others said, an angel has spoken to him. Jesus answered, this voice has come for your sake, not for mine. Now is the judgment of this world. Now the ruler of this world will be driven out. And I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. He said this to indicate the kind of death he was to die. The Gospel of the Lord. Grace Grace and peace to you during this journey in Lent through death to new life. It's been a pleasure to be here this morning. We had a very lively conversation upstairs during education hour where we talked about vocation, being called by God to do God's work in the world, and ecology, or thinking about that work in terms of keeping worth the creative and preserving work of God. I have to add here, after listening a couple times to the, to the uh, advertisement about the table-to-table, and is it save your fork announcement, is that right? Keep, your, keep the fork, keep your fork, that I once... Uh, won third place in the St. John's Lutheran bake-off for my blueberry pie with the butter crust. So that's as high as I ever got on the hierarchy of prize-winning bakers. Central to all the readings for today are really startling portrayals of the topsy-turvy terrain that we are invited to travel during the season of Lent. The path towards new life with God is never straightforward. It always seems like we've got to go back through brokenness in order to go forward alongside Jesus towards wholeness. We need to simplify our lives in order to recognize how abundant the gifts within us are. We've got to go down 
to rise up, to deeply confront our own failures and hurts in order to find God delighting in us at an even deeper level. We've got to suffer. Indeed, much of what we have falsely become has got to die in order for all that God creates and restores to be brought back to life. The writer Alice Walker wrote in her book, The Color of Purple, that anything, anything coming back to life is going to hurt. Lent is the process of painfully, hopefully reawakening to God's call of coming back into life at its deepest and fullest. And so this journey of Lent takes us back and down in order to go forward and up. We're called to go back through all that we have done and left undone, humbly repenting of despair and cynicism. And then, and only then, are we also simultaneously called forward to the hope against hope that God can and does and will make all creatures new, you and I among them. All four Gospels speak of this topsy-turvy world of going back to go forward, going down to go up, dying with Christ in order to be raised and glorified with him. Again and again, Jesus insists that All who exalt themselves will be humbled, but all who humble themselves will be exalted. He preaches, blessed are the poor, for theirs is the kingdom of God. But woe to you who are rich, for you have received your consolation. Blessed are you who weep now, for you will laugh. Woe to you who are laughing now, for you will mourn and weep. Jesus proclaims that the first shall be last and the last shall be first, that whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for me will save it. Jesus sings out, if you want to touch the sky, better learn how to kneel on your knees, boy. Actually, that was Bono from the rock band U2, but (laughs) I do think that he was paraphrasing Jesus. In our gospel reading for today, Jesus brings the point home. Excuse me, Jesus puts it this way. Very truly, I tell you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains just a single grain. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Those who love their life lose it, and those who hate their life in this world will keep it for eternal life. At the end of the gospel, Jesus brings the message home through the painfully ironic declaration that he will draw all people to himself when he is lifted up from the earth. We know, we know all too well that in Jerusalem, Jesus will not be lifted up on a throne of a king or on the wings of eagles like God's own beloved. The authorities of the Roman Empire and the religious authorities that are in cahoots with them will rather lift Jesus high on a cross, which is meant to mark him as an outlaw and an idolater, to humiliate him, push him down, make an example of such rabble-rousers. Jesus' path is topsy 
topsy-turvy through and through. He will attract all to himself by first thrusting them all away one by one when they see how ugly and shameful a death he has in front of him. Jeremiah, the first lesson, is, is no less paradoxical. It's only when we return to the Lord by the long way, by facing the law within us, knowing our shortcomings, remembering our sin, that God, in fact, remembers our sin no more. Or in the words of the psalmist, it's exactly when we confess that we have been steeped in wickedness from birth, broken from the beginning and all the way down, as it were, that we also see in those dark depths a God of love who is deeper still, a God whose deeper truth and wisdom can be grasped only if we don't remain on the surface with glib optimism, some wishful thinking, or a half-hearted vow to try to be a little better. What we need is a clean heart, a core cleansing, and no surface scrubbing will get us one. God creates a clean heart in us, renewing a right spirit, restoring deep within us the joy of God's salvation. We simply cannot return to that life-giving place with God without passing through everything that has polluted and perverted what was meant to be beautiful and bountiful. And so, for these 40 days, we're called to go down through brokenness, back to things that we wish we could forget. It's the only way to return to the Lord. We've got to grope our way all the way down and back through this topsy-turvy terrain of Lent. There's absolutely no resurrection, no power and glory that does not bear the shape of a cross. Those who lose, who love their life, lose it. And those who hate their life in this world will keep it for eternal life. But here's the thing. As hard as all these hard sayings are, as difficult as this topsy-turvy Lenten journey may be, I think many of us Christians, and I include myself here, many of us Christians have become quite adept at whitewashing the tomb, painting the cross gold, and so taking easy shortcuts to get to eternal life. The primary way we do this, I think, is to associate eternal life exclusively with a holy other life in heaven, a brand new life in a new and improved place that shines so brightly that this world seems not really to matter in the first place. It's as if faced with the painfully difficult calling to hate our life in this world in order to gain eternal life, many of us think that that's a pretty good deal. We give up all too quickly on this life, this earth, this vulnerable and groaning creation, and act as though we are already ready to cash it in for another, much better place called heaven. I realize I'm going to sound a little teacherly here. It's an occupational hazard. 
But I want to tell you about an old heresy in the Christian tradition called Gnosticism. Gnosticism self-consciously thinks in dualistic terms. This world, this earth for Gnostics, is evil through and through. Salvation for them is to be saved from this world, to get beamed up, like beam me up, Scotty, into a new existence altogether. Regarding salvation in this way, as a kind of divine rescue from this world, can allow so-called Christians to disregard or even despise that which should be cherished and protected, this world, this earth. While Gnosticism was condemned as a heresy long, long ago, I do wonder whether Christianity still becomes, for many of us, an overly spiritualized faith, where the faithful too readily abandon care for the earth and its material goods for the promise of some heaven light years away. Such a spiritualization of Christianity only exacerbates our proclivities to buy and then throw away and then buy and then throw away to uproot ourselves from particular places and move on, all the while providing a a convenient cover of being spiritual, not too materialistic, too attached. If only we were more attached, if only we were more concerned with the materials of creation, if only we imagined salvation as the restored health, the word means that, salvation from salus, meaning health, if only we imagined salvation as the restored health of the earth rather than being saved from it. If only we made God's creation our true home. Now John himself, the gospel writer, can sound dualistic, or maybe even Gnostic sometimes. He tells us that Jesus tells us to hate our life in this world, and if we do, we will keep it for eternal life. That can sound as though we trade in some broken lives on a broken earth for shiny new ones in some heaven, again, light years away. But look more closely. That's not at all in the gospel. First of all, the this world that we are called to resist is not God's good earth, but all the powers and principalities that keep us and the rest of nature from flourishing. Note, too, that we don't exchange our lives here for new life somewhere else. Rather, our resistance and our repentance enables us to keep our lives for eternity, forever. That keeping, that preserving and conserving of all the lives that God creates begins now and can and will keep going. Finally, Look at the metaphor, or maybe it's, maybe it's not just a metaphor. Maybe it's something more like an example. Look at the example of those who lose their life and so keep on living. Very truly, I tell you, says Jesus, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains a single grain. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. 
the miracle of salvation turns out to be a rather mundane and earthly miracle. All life goes back into the ground and then springs up again as new life. But just because that miracle of life is mundane doesn't mean it's any less miraculous. Why do we participate in the repentance, the going back of Lent? I think it's so that we can fall to the ground and then slowly, surely, miraculously spring up and bear much fruit. Certainly, Jesus' own death and resurrection is the archetype for this going down and springing back up. But so is every seed of every plant, every animal, including humans, that feed on them and grow and then return to the ground, making room for others to grow and bear fruit. The salvation that awaits at the end of this circuitous journey of Lent is not a shiny novelty. We're not saved by being rescued from a broken earth. Salvation is not somewhere else, up and out, far, far and away. No, the salvation that humans and the rest of the earth are groaning toward is about the healing of our bodies and about the body called earth. This is God's creation. And the new thing that God is doing is bringing it to fruition. God's living water of salvation is springing up a new creation in us, in our watersheds and gardens and forests and farms. May your journey through Lent root you more deeply in the earth. May it make you grounded. For it is here, out of the dust and in the topsoil, that your life and our lives together are being made new. Thanks be to God. Amen.